You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Welcome to the 1855th edition of St Edmundsbury Newstalk for the 18th of November. The editor of this edition is Katrina Morris, the producer is Roger Morris and the readers are Katrina and Gordon. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. Right, I shall start with headline one. Dental charity plugging gaps as residents left frustrated. Headline two. Light at the end of the tunnel in Covid fights as health chief. And headline, headline three. Questions raised over fibre works. And headline four, man 28 arrested outside nightclub after air gun found. Residents from uh, in and around Berris and Edmonds have spoken of their frustration at a lack of NHS dental provision in West Suffolk as a charity rolled in to plug gaps in the system. Dentaid, which typically provides free dental care for homeless and vulnerable people, set up its mobile unit outside West Road Church and Morton Hall Community Centre in Bury on Wednesday and Thursday. It was offering treatment primarily to residents suffering from toothache who do not have access to any other form of NHS dental care. The charity visited after Toothless in Suffolk, a campaign group set up by set up asking for the full restoration of NHS dentistry services in the county, contacted them. Hannah Vickery of Barrow was at the West End Church uh, Clinic on Wednesday, suffering from a cracked tooth and trying to be seen. I've been in excruciating pain for about a week, she said. I just can't afford dentists. I've been surviving on paracetamol. Hannah said she tried calling 111, which referred her to a dentist which she thought would be more affordable, but they said she would need to pay around £280 for work. She said she had been left in a situation where she was either not able to afford rent this month or had to live with the pain. Jill Harding, communications director for Dentaid, said that they were expecting around 30 patients on Wednesday. Some were turned away after appointments ran out. Peter Lies of Milton Hall was one patient who would be seen. He needed treatment for a loose filling 
after his new dentist in Newmarket said he could only be seen if he was on Denplan, which he isn't. He said he tried booking alternative appointments elsewhere, but they were all full up. Dentaid has already run similar clinics in West Yorkshire and provided for care for fishermen in Lowestoft and Felixstowe this month. This was their first visit to Bury. On Wednesday, Jill said, we are stepping in really to help bridge a gap held meeting in immediate help meeting in a knee sorry help meet an immediate need. We are all about increasing access to safe care and if this is where we need to be to help people, we are here for these two days and hope to come back next year as well. Donna Higgins, West Councillor sorry, Berwick Town Councillor for Minden Road where West Church, West Road Church lies, I've had people who have not been a dentist in several years and have been in pain, have been ringing around everywhere. One chap said he was prepared to drive 30 miles if he could only get an appointment. Health, <coughs> health bosses in Suffolk say there is light at the end of the tunnel as they help the country in its battle to beat COVID-19, but there is still work to do. There are more than 70 patients being treated for COVID-19 in Suffolk hospitals, 11 of them in intensive care. Latest figures presented in Friday's local outbreak engagement board meeting of council and health leaders showed there were 32 positive patients at Ipswich Hospital, of which three were in intensive therapy units, ITU, while West Suffolk Hospital had 39 patients, also with three of those in ITU. In addition, the James Paget University Hospital in Galston had reported 23 COVID cases, including five in critical care. Dr Ed Garrett, Chief Officer at Suffolk's Clinical Commissioning Group, said, Proportionally, Ipswich is a bigger site, a bigger hospital and a bigger catchment area. So West Suffolk is under slightly greater pressure. Coronavirus rates are falling both locally and nationally, members were told, but numbers remain higher than they should be. Ipswich is still the main centre for concern, along with Bury St Edmunds, Newmarket and Haverhill, and the board has reinforced the advice on action to keep any virus spread in check. Public Health Suffolk Director Stuart Keeble urged people to continue being responsible around face masks and hand washing, particularly as the run-up to Christmas will see more housefuls mixing and winter pressures on the health service. He said there is light at the end of the tunnel, but we've got to do quite a lot of work to get through the tunnel to get out the other end. We need to be working hard to navigate that. The rate of people testing positive is starting to fall now and has been falling since the end of October. Hospital admissions are still at the highest point since back in March at the moment, but again, it is a downward curve as well. The rate in Ipswich is currently the 46th highest out of 350 local authority areas. Mr Keeble said we have got used to these rates being where they are, but when we look at hospital admission data, they have implications. They are coming down. They are in the right um, direction, but there is further to go on this. 
Current rates in Suffolk are 335.6 cases per 100,000 people, below the 362.7 regional average and the England average of 346.5. Data is being collated on how many of those in the hospitals have received COVID-19 vaccinations or booster jabs. Mr Keeble said that often... The uh, people often end up in ITU are those who have, haven't been vaccinated. Dr. Garrett said usually patients were not admitted for COVID-19, but more often with a different illness, but had also got COVID or worse, still picked up at the COVID within the hospital. Health chiefs have said that despite being early on in the winter, see, being early on in the winter season, it feels much more like January. Traditionally the toughest month for pressure on the health services. Last month, Suffolk's hospital closed their doors to visitors in a bid to curb the spread of infection and keep patients safe after evidence was found that visitors had been responsible for some COVID-19 transmissions in the hospital. Through our Grab the Jab campaign, we are urging people to get their COVID-19 vaccine to help curb the, effect, curb the effects of the virus and reduce the chance of severe health impact as a result. New concerns have been raised about ongoing city fibre works across Berries and Edmonds and the disruption they are causing residents. Hospital Road has been left a mess after residents' parking was suspended and city fibre started work last month. However, Minimal progress has been made, according to Peter Cheverton of Out Westgate. Peter, who has been a resident parking permit for nearby Hospital Road, said work started on October the 25th with a resident parking suspension until November the 1st. The suspension was subsequently extended to November the 5th and then again to November the 12th. The sum total of work is a trench that has been covered over with plastic boards and purple piping piled up out inside green plastic barriers that are regularly a target of the louts passing by in the small hours of the night, said Peter. The contract contractor staff of three spent more time on their phones and sitting in their cars than actually working on digging the trench to lay the pipes which are still lying next to the covered trench on the road surface. Peter said there was not a chance the work would be completed by the end of the latest parking suspension expiry today and expects it to be extended once again. In the meantime, we're having to find different places to park, which isn't always easy, he said. We had absolutely no information about this before, beforehand other than the signs suddenly appearing. Two weeks ago, the Berry Free Press reported on Queen's Road residents fined for using parking bays suspended for city fibre works, although no work has started on site. Concern has also been raised over long-running city fibre works in Eastgate Street. It's rubbish. <laughs> and, and the t city manager for Berry said, We are sorry to learn concerns have been raised and want to reassure residents we always endeavour to manage disruption and complete construction as quickly and efficiently as possible. 
However, it can sometimes take a little longer than expected and we have experienced delays due to team members self-isolating in line with safety protocols. Our £8 million digital transformation project in Bury is on course to be completed in 2022. We want to thank the community for their patience while we work to bring gigabyte speed connectivity within reach of nearly every home and business in the town. A 28-year-old man <clears throat> has been arrested after bouncers at a Bury St Edmunds nightclub found an air gun during a routine search. Security staff at Flex Nightclub in St Andrews Street found that this air weapon during a routine door search shortly before 10.30 on Saturday, November the 6th. Police were called and a man was arrested over suspicion of possession of a firearm. He was taken to Bury St Edmunds Police Investigation Centre for questioning and has since been released on bail to answer on December the 2nd. Flex boss Dominic Crefield said, It was found in one of our searches because we were searching nearly everyone who came in. It's the first time we've found a weapon. We were shocked that it happened. Mostly we deal with drinks, drugs and fake IDs. Mr Crefield added that the nightclub was searching more, more people in response to recent spikings. We were doing one of those when this, that we were doing one in ten, now that's one in three, he said. We have extra door staff, plus we now keep a duty manager on the door at all times. And now some news articles. Volunteers have started work to build a new rose garden at a care home in Great Barton. The Grace and Compassion Benedictine Sisters have run the Montana Care Home, which was recently rated as outstanding by the Quality Care Commission, for over 60 years. The Sisters are always looking for ways to enhance and improve the environment and care that they provide. Recently they began to transform space at the front of the home into a new rose garden. Once renovation work is completed, the garden which has been funded by donations and grants will be accessible to residents and their families and the care staff who work there. It will have paved access and seating areas so the garden and the scent of the flowers can be enjoyed. It is hoped the 20 residents at the home will be able to make use of the garden from next month. Sister Thea Moses said, their residents can walk into the garden and we are putting benches there for all to sit. This week we are waiting for the slabs and we are going to put them down next week. It will be ready to the beginning of December. I am also grateful to Father Paul Madison who is organising the project. If you would like to make a donation to buy a rose bush as a gift or in memory of a loved one, please contact admin, admin at montanacarehomes.com. A celebration has been held by Royal Air Forces Association Bury St Edmunds for the oldest surviving, surviving Polish War II airman. John Franklin was born on November the 3rd, 1919 and celebrated his 102nd birthday at the West End Home Guard Club in Abbots Road. 
He was joined by association committee members, one of his daughters, Linda, and West Suffolk Council Chairwoman, Councillor Margaret Marks. Linda said he is just absolutely amazing and has had, has had such a fascinating life. He has so much grit, determination and such strength of character that has got him through the hard time. Born in Sopop Kini, which was in Poland, but is now part of Belarus, he was taken by the Russians in 1938 to build railways and lived in the infamous Siberian Gulag camps. Known for extreme living and, and labour condition, John was there for two years. In 1941, Polish citizens who were deported to the Soviet Union were granted a one-off amnesty, and in March 1942, John joined the Polish Armed Forces. Documentation shows that he then travelled through the likes of Uzbekistan, Persia, now Iran, all the way down to South Africa in order to reach the UK, making it to Blackpool by boat in April 1943. The 102-year-old said, The hospitality from the people of Blackpool I will never forget. That was extra special for us back then. Long live Blackpool and all the people in it. John then joined Squadron 304 in the RAF and became a Morse code radio operator in the Wellington Bombers. John said we went off in an aeroplane and never knew if you were going to come back. Some obviously never did. We did everything to do the job and get home, as home was the best place to come to. John was involved in bombings over Germany and then reconnaissance missions focused on the anti-submarine warfare. The Veterans Medals include Poland's highest decoration, the Virtual Military Cross, and one for helping to sink a U-boat off the Cornish coast. John was discharged from the RAF in 1947, and after meeting his wife Pamela at Chedborough Air Force Base Dance, they married in October 1943. He did an apprenticeship in Bury St Edmunds, renovating antiques, French polishing and making bespoke furniture, before running his own shop in Looms Lane. The pair had two children, Linda in 1955 and Stephanie in 1963. After retiring in late 1990s, John cared for his wife, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. She died in April 2007. He said, I feel extremely lucky. You get to 99 and the big number is getting nearer and nearer and you hope to make it. And now look at me. I'm 102. John has been invited to the Polish Embassy in London next week to be honoured at the country's Independence Day celebration. Asked what advice he would give for a long life, John said, I never have anything to throw back at people during differences of opinion. They have a right to their own, and so do I. If you discuss and talk, but there is no cooperating or agreement, leave them with a shake of the hand, as people have different opinions, and that is that. Communities across Suffolk came together for Armistice Day services yesterday. To, oh, that would be last week, sorry. To remember those who made the supreme sacrifice during the war. Young and old felt silent at the 11th hour of the 11th day to mark the end of World War I and pay respects to those who lost their lives. 
This year marks the centenary of the Royal British Legion and its poppy appeal, which are about supporting, serving and ex-members of the armed forces and their families. In Bury St Edmunds there was a strong turnout at the War Memorial in Angel Hill where dignitaries, school children and members of the public gathered for the wreath-laying ceremony. Nigel Wollstenholme, Vice-Chairman of the Royal British Legion's Bury St Edmunds branch, which also marks 100 years in 2021, said the gathering was amazing and the service had been a phenomenal joint venture between the Town Council and the local Royal British Legion. He told the crowd, we, we said we will remember them and we have. There was a particular focus this year on involving young people, which say the Royal British Legion approach local schools to see if they would run a competition, for example, an art project or writing a story and the winning student would lay a wreath. Youngsters from St Benedict's Catholic School and County Upper School Wesley Middle School and RAF Mildenhall Middle School all got involved. Mayor of Bury St Edmunds, Peter Thompson, stressed how important it was to him to pass over the baton to the next generation. Bury St Edmunds MP Joe Churchill, who was president of the ladies' section of the Royal British Legion in the town, said it had been an honour to be there with constituents young and old to mark the 11th hour of the 11th day. The Reverend Martin Seeley, Bishop of the Diocese of Edmundsbury in Ipswich, who was at Ipswich on Remembrance Sunday, said, Remembrance is a time for young and old to gather and express our thanks and express, sorry, and respect for those who gave their lives in wars and conflicts serving our country. The profound nature of this occasion does not alter even as the years pass. Indeed, the significance seems to intensify as remember those sacrifice who has enabled the freedoms we enjoy today. A shop could be operating at a growing Bury St Edmunds housing estate by this time next year, after plans were given the green light by West Suffolk Council. A new local centre will be built at Marham Park by FPC Marham Park a joint venture between Shepherd Developments and Foundation Property and Capital PLC. The centre will include a new 4,000-square-foot co-op convenience store on the ground floor and five two-bedroom apartments for private sale on the first floor. The proposed opening hours for the shop are 7am to 10.30pm daily, including bank holidays. Construction work on the local centre is expected to start in the new year and be completed by autumn 2022. Martin Leach, Managing Director of Countryside Strategic Land and Major Projects, said, We are delighted FPC Murrum Park has come on board to, live, to deliver the local centre at the development and it now has the green light for its delivery. When complete, it will provide residents at Murrum Park and the wider area with the convenience of having a leading supermarket on their doorstep. Ben Shepherd of Shepherd Development Managing Director said, It is fantastic to have the go-ahead. In addition to household goods and groceries, co-op stores are renowned for being at the centre of their communities, making it a great addition for the Moran Park. We are delighted to have the supermarket on board. 
Marham Park is developer Countryside's 200-acre village-style development, which will eventually provide around 1,100 new homes and 65 acres of parkland and open spaces. To date, more than 525 new homes and a care home have been built and occupied, while play areas and a 36-acre country park have been completed. Last month, Marham Park residents voiced their disappointment after plans for a leisure facility on the estate were shelved. In August, developer Countryside applied to West Suffolk Council for outline permission to build 78 homes on Parcel P, which was previously earmarked in a master plan for the development for a commercial indoor sports and leisure facility. A new car park in Woolpit, which opened on Friday, is already helping the COVID-19 booster vaccination programme at the Village Health Centre. The 120-space car park, which is for the use of Woolpit Health Centre and the community, was officially opened by Mid-Suffolk District Councillor and NHS representatives. Work on the project started in August after land was transferred from David Wilson Homes, which is building homes in the village, to the District Council. Proposals for the community car park were accelerated, accelerated in response for demand for parking, while Woolpit Health, Health Centre administers COVID-19 and flu vaccines. The new car park opened in time for a surge in COVID-19 booster vaccinations at the surgery. It is thought around 1,500 vaccines were administered on Saturday alone. Previously, Woolpit Medical Centre had 66 car parking spaces, 30 of which were reserved for staff, leaving 36 for residents, including three disabled spaces. Additional community uses for the land are being explored. Councillor Paul Ekpenyong, Mid-Suffolk District Council Chairman, said, I'm delighted that I've been able to deliver this much-needed car park for Woolpit. Entrance to the car park is from the health centre's existing facility until an access, access road is ready in January. Community infrastructure levy collected from housing developers was used to fund the project. After 20 years in the furniture business, the Pine House Company in Stolentoft will be closing its doors. Jackie Ray and Sarah Coe bought the company in 2001 but now the pair have chosen to sell up as Jackie is looking to retire. The business also became something of a community landmark with its signature pink Morris Minor called Elsie parked outside. Our customers be, have been absolutely fantastic. The support, the support we have been seen in both store and online has been quite overwhelming, said Sarah. Jackie had previously run a successful furniture business but the Pine House gave her and Sarah the chance to work on making the projects as well as selling them. The duo became friends 25 years ago, both being entrepreneurial with a passion for furniture. They created this business. Throughout the shop's duration, they kept the store running between them, only hiring externally for carpentry work. Sarah will continue her other business, a psychotherapy counselling practice. I've been lucky to have two businesses that I'm equally as passionate about, said Sarah. The business focused on solid wood, 
and made-to-measure furniture that can be customised for a variety of colours. Our customers have been passionate, as we are, about high standards, said Sarah. As the store comes to a close, many have inquired what the furniture of, of Elsie will, what the future of Elsie will be. Though the car still looks like the part, it is um, past the stage of functioning and is likely to be used for banger racing. The company will slowly wind down selling furniture at a discounted price until everything is gone. An Exworth Thorpe butcher could be testing her knife skills against the best in the world next year after being picked for Team GB. Kerry Newton, who works for Thurston Butchers in School Road, was chosen after a nationwide search to find Britain's best butchers who focus on provenance, value-added products and presentation skills. Last month, Kerry travelled to Home House in London for the official Team GB launch, which includes an instruction seminar and interview process, after which she was welcomed to the team. The 24-year-old said, I use Instagram a lot with my work, tagging to famous butchers in my posts. Simon Taylor, the captain of Team GB, saw these and got into contact with me and to ask if I wanted to come down to London. It is an amazing privilege to be a part of the team. The other team members are butchers. I have followed for a while and it is incredible to be showcasing what I can do alongside them. The team will train between now and September 2022 when Team GB will send a squad to compete at the World Butchers Challenge in Sacramento. California. Though predominantly made up of men, Kerry hopes now she's part of the team it will inspire more women to come into the industry. She said, you do not normally see women working in a butcher's, but I am trying to support that and show women that they can, can work in the industry too. Although I have only been doing it for two years, I have grown up with this sort of thing all my life. My brother is a gamekeeper and he shows shoot, and he shoots deer and brings them in here and I grew up learning the whole press, process of shooting, skinning and preparing the meat too. Alistair Angus, owner of Thurston Butchers, said he felt this was only the beginning for Kerry and building up the art of butchery as a profession. He said, I am super proud of her and I think it's great Kerry is going to the future to be the future of the shop, the way I see it. So to me, Team G is a perfect stepping stone for her in getting exposure and showing what she can create. She's also passionate about shooting, stalking and countryside stewardship. And in this field to fork philosophy, it is important now as it has ever been. I have no doubt that she will go a long way in this industry. As well as competing, the team focuses on showing butchery as a progressive industry, promoting environmental awareness, sustainability and buying British. For 35 years, the Bury St Edmunds charity has helped families and individuals make ends meet and more than ever it needs your help to ensure children and families in West Suffolk have a magical Christmas. Gatehouse, working with Berry Free Press, 
has launched the Christmas Appeal for donations of non-perishable food and this year also needs unopened toiletry gifts as well as underwear and pyjamas for children and adults. Chief Executive Amanda Bloomfield said last year's Christmas Appeal was a great success but this year we are aiming for bigger and better. We already have a list of over 400 families who need our help and it's only going to increase as we get closer to December. The charity was also looking in secure, looking to secure funding to buy gas and electricity vouchers and fill oil tanks for families and individuals to get them over the festive period, particularly with the growing fuel bills. We are appealing to local businesses to come forward and donate cash so that we can start buying vouchers. Families depend on us, said Amanda. What's the point of giving people food parcels if they haven't got gas or electricity to cook it with? We like to give our families at least £20 of each, so any cash donations would be very welcome. It all adds up and you would be helping out so many families in need. Donations can be dropped off at Gatehouse in Dettingen Way, as well as the Berry Free Press Office in Kings Road. The deadlines for donations is December the 6th. The charity also has collection points at the town's Waitrose and the co-op in Outbrisby Gate Street. Amanda added, if you're out and about shopping, and you can, why not pick up something extra for our appeal? We have been doing this for a few years now and we would ask people to donate what they can. This can be anything from food, non-perishable, to underwear, gift sets and pyjamas. The majority of people who come to us here have been referred through the Family Support Hub or through the Family Support Workers or other organisations. It really means the world to people when they know they are meeting, getting some help. They know they, know they aren't on their own. We never turn anyone away. <laughs> I'm sorry. We never turn anyone away who is in genuine need. Thousands of Christmas trees ready for new homes are in Ruffham, just waiting to be picked this festive season. The first of two pick-your-own weekends at Blackthorn Bar Blackthorn Barn starts tomorrow when customers can select their own Ruffham Estate Christmas tree, ready to be chopped to order and collected next month. Ruffham Estate has been growing Christmas trees for more than 50 years and now boasts 20 hectares of trees in four varieties. Nordman fir, Norway spruce, Fraser fir and blue spruce, with 5,000 new trees planted every year. Once upon a time we sold our trees out of the car park at the back of the estate office but it got bigger and bigger, said estate manager Simon Edel, adding that tree sales moved to Blackthorpe Barn about 30 years ago. In 2019 for the first time, pick your own trees were offered as an option, being really well received. We are hoping it is going to be a really busy event, particularly on the back of the success of our sunflowers and pumpkins this year, said Simon. It offers the chance to come out and pick your tree while it is still standing. Then when customers come back for their collection slot, it will be netted and ready to go, having been freshly cut. 
Pick your own customers who can book slots online are giving a map, a tag, and once they have chosen their perfect tree, they simply need to tag it and make a note of the location. Then it will be chopped just before pre-arranged collection date, nearer the big day. We pride ourselves here that all of our trees are cut fresh within a mile of the barn, so there are zero tree miles, and they're all cut within a few days of going on sale, said Simon. Pre-cut Nordman firs are available from Blackthorn Barn from November the 19th, and Norway spruce from next month. And now some news in brief. A cadet group in Bury St Edmunds has raised £873.94 in this year's poppy appeal. The 11th flight cadets spent the day at the Tesco Superstore on St Saviour's Interchange last Sunday collecting money for the Royal British Legion. Detachment Commander Sergeant John Warby said... We have an excellent group of well-committed cadets here at Bury St Edmunds and great support from the Army Air Corps, to whom we are affiliated. The group meets every Monday night at the Army Reserve Centre in Bury St Edmunds. At Ickworth Church, there will be a Conservation Trust carol service. Ickworth Church Conservation Trust is holding a Carols by Candlelight service next month. The event will be held on Sunday, December the 19th at 2.30. The church's address is Ickworth Park, Suffolk, IP 295QE. There will be a retiring collection on the day, but you can also um, donate via text. People across the county could have a brighter Christmas thanks to a donation from Waitrose. Every three months, the store's head office decides what causes it wishes to support and the Community Activator locates relevant local organisations. Jane Gunsman has led, has had the community role at the Berry St Edmunds store for almost a decade and was the powerhouse beside, behind the latest venture. £3,000 was donated to Suffolk Survivors, Women's Aid, Berry St Edmunds and Home Start who will receive gift cards that can be spent in store on goods. And now we have some letters. The first letter comes from Graham South of Thurston. Sir, the world's great and good and others have been parleying for days now in Scotland, intent on solutions. Meanwhile, this earth turns and burns. Though looking beautiful from space, if a gap can be found to view through the orbiting bric-a-brac. However, the result is already known. Amongst back-slapping and cries of great progress, that is all. Why all? This is always the outcome of such grand gatherings. Until Rome burns again, this conclusion prevails. Meanwhile, the duty-bound dwellers all over this globe continue to swell the seemingly unquenchable masses of humans requiring a lifetime of food, water and shelter, many wanting the luxury of houses and transport. Or to put it simply, population growth will be, is, the destroying force for harm and self-destruction already well advanced. Did the illustrious and enlightened convention even notice this accelerating danger? Because it is real and happening now. If the earth were a pint pot, it would be seen to be almost full. 
Uh, right, this is uh, another letter about speeding. It's from Anthony Hurden of Bury St Edmunds. In February 2021, Suffolk County Council announced Suffolk County Council, Suffolk Constabulary and the Police and Crime Commissioner have worked together with local people for many years to tackle concerns about speeding. We have developed an approach which offers both enforcement and education to suit the needs and concerns of local communities. This will come as a surprise to people in the centre of Bury St Edmunds where there is a 20 mile an hour zone. Despite repeated requests from residents that the issue of continual speeding be addressed before there is an accident, the council has rejected these requests and refused to make the speed limit much clearer to motorists with better signage. Another option would be to introduce traffic calming measures in the streets in towns, not simply speed bumps, and again the council refuses to consider this. The notice from the County Council does not even consider this option, although there is a wealth of material about how this can be done, and the clear safety benefits that result. If other councils can do it, why is Suffolk not willing to consider it? A survey was taken a few years ago in the town centre, which showed vehicles travelling through the 20 mile an hour zone at speeds up to, and sometimes over 40 mile an hour. Despite this, the policy seems to be to save money by doing nothing. I recently witnessed an elderly resident clearly, clearly exasperated, yet more vehicles speeding, well over 20 mile an hour, who so enraged this driver, he stopped violently and physically assaulted the resident before driving off at speed. So all the councillors who have the responsibility for the safety and well-being of those who vote for them and other users of the town centre, what will it take before they do something? Another unhappy motorist, Michael Edge from Bury St Edmunds, writes, The work being done in Bury St Edmunds by City Fibre is a shambles. For example, Eastgate Street has had work sites for many <laughs> weeks and on inquiry they are likely to continue for four weeks more and the rest of the town is to have them probably until Christmas 2022. A road in the town centre is closed, and wherever one goes there are green barriers, sometimes closing roads, sometimes impeding traffic. What is not seen is concentrated and ongoing work. Often nobody is working, or as in Eastgate Street, two people, when a large amount of the street workings are deserted. Coordination in the work seems pathetic. The small road in which I live, a cul-de-sac, was visited twice today, with cars finding it difficult to pass. When I asked some workers what was happening, I was met with a combative truculence and was told that I didn't understand. We have also lost some bin collections because of a lack of access. It seems there is no control over what this firm does and no adequate explanation. Why do we all have to suffer for what may or may not be a benefit? Some answers and a timetable scale would be welcome and should have been given before now. Roger Spiller of Ixworth wrote in, um, and anybody who knows their Gilbert and Sullivan will write, know this one. 150 years since ago, W.S. Gilbert wrote a very perceptive line to be sung by a Member of Parliament in HMS Pinafore. 
it goes, I always voted at my party's call and I never thought of thinking for myself at all. For this government, it <laughs> seeks the past as a safe refuge. Let us hope electors deny that to them. There were a few brave Covenant MPs who did think for themselves, but over 250 did as they were told one day and went into reverse as they were told to the next. Sorry. This is uh, um, a letter from Tony Turner via email. Um, while at a and &E in West Suffolk uh, Hospital on Friday, November the 5th, a young lad who had been bitten by his dog regularly chatted with patients before suddenly popping out during the two-hour waiting time and returned with a bag full of McDonald cheeseburgers, handing them out to everyone in A&E. He worked at a warehouse and told me he had an early morning shift at Morton Hall, making this financial gesture even more special in keeping spirits high. With such negativity aimed at the younger generation during the pandemic, I felt this young lad deserved some credit for his kind act. Finally, a big thank you to the NHS workforce who continue to be superb and safe during these troubled times. And there's also a letter from John Bailey of Stanton. Sir, it may interest and concern your readers to know during the past year, the waiting list for elderly care in our home or, or residential home has increased by 91% across England, Scotland and Wales. Before anyone dismisses this as Ramona tribe, this information is available but not widely publicised. This at a time when some 60,000 care workers are about to be sacked for not being COVID vaccinated, I would like to challenge our, MP, our Suffolk MPs as to how they are dealing with this additional crisis and perceived, perceived way forward situation that irrespective of remainder or lever we would be faced with personally at any time there but the grace of god and some more news from walsham la willows 600 residents will be invited to vote in a development survey on monday walsham la willows neighborhood plan is inviting residents to have their say on the future of their village and the future growth requirement to their long-term benefit of the community. Neighbourhood plans are a way of giving communities a say in planning and council planners are legally obliged to take into account a neighbourhood plan when considering development applications. The survey will allow villagers to, vote, to voice their opinions on a variety of areas and guide future development of the parish for the next 15 years. Those wishing to have their say have until next Saturday to do so and a post box will be sited in the car park of Walsham Lavillo's Village Memorial Hall to collect votes. Work has been taking place on the village's neighbourhood plan since March 2018 and the project is now nearing its final stage. In 2020, Lovell Homes gained planning permission for a 66-house estate approval for which was granted despite parish council hesitancy and which caused a deep upset in the village, especially for those living on Wattersfield Road. It is believed permission was granted for this development due to a lack of neighbourhood plan in the village. 
this is more news. It's, uh, I believe it's by uh, Councillor Julia Wakelin has beyond, been beyond, behind this. Um, parking officers have been talking to drivers who leave their engines on while parked in West Suffolk, but calls have been made for more urgency to efforts. West Suffolk Council agreed in September it would ask its civil parking enforcement officers to speak to any motorists they encountered who were vehicle idling, leaving their engines on while parked. Data published for this week's scrutiny committee has revealed that in the first six weeks the team approached 22 drivers. Of those, 15 drove off when approached, while 7 turned their engines off. September's scrutiny committee suggested low-level fines of around £20 should be issued. This was not considered appropriate by officers and it was agreed instead to pursue informal conversations. Despite the numbers, the council says its anti-idling campaign efforts were continuing. Andy Drummond, Conservative Cabinet Member for Regulatory and Environment, said... If we can encourage people not to idle, it will make a vast difference. One thing I've been trying to drive for some time is cars that have a reset button. When you switch your car off and press that the residual heat from the engine is used for about half an hour, you can heat the car from the residual heat from the engine from the journey you've just performed. But Councillor Julia Raiklin Green and Diana Hind Labour, who have been lobbying on the issue, said reports was disappointing and displayed a lack of urgency at both district and county councils. Councillor Wakelam said, I have not really noticed any interventions by civil enforcement officers. Quite the opposite, in fact. I have taken this up with the officer in charge of the council and hopefully this will result in more action going forward. I am pushing for monthly reports. As the weather worsens, sadly we can expect to see more thoughtless motorists sitting in their cars while pumping out noxious fumes for the rest of us to breathe. Councillor Hind added, I support monthly reports and will be suggesting more publicity against the health consequences of unnecessary idling, possibly a poster competition for schools and a leaflet going out for council tax with council tax letters. To celebrate Halloween and Firework Night, Southgate Community Centre in Bury St Edmund held its first spooky fun day. Hundreds of children and their parents enjoyed a free event with activities, refreshments, magicians and a disco. Tickets for the event were snapped up within two days and we had to cap it at the first 100 children applying with a long reserve waiting list, said Jessica Rudd, the event organiser. The entertainment was paid for by Southgate Community Partnership and out of the councillors Patrick Chung and Sarah Stamp's locality budget. It's really heartwarming to see the community pull together for such an event and the feedback was fantastic, added Jessica. It is hoped that this will be the first of many spooky fun day celebrations for the community centre. Jessica is currently planning the Christmas light trail in December. This is more news, uh, a mental health boost for charity. <coughs> a Paris and Edmonds-based training company 
has entered into a new partnership with an arts and heritage charity. Three Eggs provides workplace mental health training, both in-house or at workplace, throughout the UK. It will now be working with Britain Peers Arts, based at Snape Malting, Suffolk, providing the charity with training for staff and managers throughout the 2022. Louise Newby, Head of Learning for Three Eggs, said, We have been delighted to partner with Britain Peers and deliver mental health training at this iconic location on the East Coast. As a Suffolk-based business, we are extremely proud to work with Britain Peers on such an important initiative. The training will promote positive mental health initiatives throughout the organisation. And now I'd like to read a feature written by Suffolk Wildlife Trust's Hawk Honey. November is an interesting time at Lackford Lakes as the leaves begin to take on their autumnal colours and the early dark nights begin to draw in. Many folks would consider retreating indoors to huddle up around the fire. But wait, November has so much to offer when it comes to nature. Firstly, as mentioned, the leaves begin to take on shades of yellow, oranges and browns, transforming summer landscapes into a riotous blaze of rich colour. Here at Lackford Lakes, the bodies of water reflect this display, this display across the rippling surfaces, adding another dimension to its innate beauty. Along the paths, the fruiting bodies of fungi begin to push up, ready to spread their spores. Their forms and structures take on unearthly-like appearances, and their names are many and varied, such as Earth Star, Chicken of the Woods, Shaggy Ink Cap, Fly Agaric, and more. Their unusual appearances make for some magical photos, embodying the shorter, cooler days against a stark blue sky. It's not long now before winter arrives, and soon the bushes will be home to winter visitors, such as field fair, red wings, siskins, and red poles. Bullfinches will be much easier to spot in as the leaves fall to the floor, leaving the bushes that they had once hidden bare. Flocks of siskins mingled with red poles, and maybe the odd linnet too, flit across the sky from hedgerows to hedgerow, to older tree looking for rich pickings in the older cones. Maybe they will even find a feeder stocked with niger seed that they can feed up on. As the weeks roll by towards December, starlings begin to gather. The nights will be getting colder now, and there is warmth and safety in numbers. Shortly before sunset, as the light begins to fade, small groups of starlings will begin to gather and advertise their intended place to roost by swirling back and forth, up and down, mesmerising all those who glance upon their display. This is a signal to starlings far and wide. Tonight we sleep here. As more and more small groups in, the swirling mass gets bigger and bigger. Then suddenly they are split asunder as a diving peregrine swoops into the cloud of starlings, talons outstretched in, in the hope of grabbing an evening snack before bedtime. The starlings swoop wildly back and forth, creating tight, dark bodies that look foreboding in an attempt to scare off the predator. The, then, just like a vacuum within the reed beds is switched on, the starlings dive down in close formation, to find their roost down amongst the reeds. The odd few skimming from reed stem to reed stem to find the right place. 
Just above, a sparrowhawk glides across the reeds in the hope to catch an unfortunate bird who might pop up at the wrong time. Yes, November certainly has a lot to offer. Those who venture out, Lake, Lake, Blackford Lakes is a beautiful at this time of the year. You can visit our shop for that special Christmas gift. Then enjoy a hot chocolate as you watch the starlings come in and drama unfold before your eyes. Uh, this is another feature and it's by Martin Taylor, who uh, is a well-known local historian. St Edmundsbury Abbey, one of the richest in the country, had acquired vast wealth over the centuries from its estates, manors and rentals, as well as the patronage of royalty, nobles and humble pilgrims. It was left to the Court of Augmentation, set up by Henry VIII, to dissolve the monastic houses overseen by Suffolk man Nicholas Bacon, and cronyism was rife. Various parcels of Abbey land were obtained by John Ayer, the receiver general of Suffolk, tax collector, who enjoyed the patronage of Bacon. Some of Berry's monastic manors were purchased by Sir William Drury and Sir Thomas German, the latter's family to figure in the Abbey side story via the Davers and Harvey connection, future owners of the Abbey site. Sir Thomas Wingfield purchased the Abbey site in 1550 and ten years later John Eyre, the upwardly mobile Feffy, purchased it for £412, 19 and fourpence during the reign of Elizabeth. He could also collect Hadgovel rents the town rents, uh, yeah, and the town rents, yeah. In not seventeen seventy nine, another Feffy, Thomas Bad Badby, purchased this site. Though controversially, it would seem to be he's feathering his own nest. Badby had a, a bill of complaint in the Court of Chancery, brought against him by the trustees of the grammar school, for misuse of the great churchyard. He was dismissed as a magistrate and died in 1583. Incidentally, Berry Grammar School had been founded in 1550 by Edward VI, Henry's son. Another consequence of the dissolution had been parliamentary representation. As the abbot had been mitred and represented the town in parliament, the town was effectively disenfranchised from 1539 until 1614. The Guildhall Feffies had been running the town during this period. Finally, the third charter in 1614 of James I, or J James VI as he was known, allowed two MPs, voted for by the town's corporation of 37, to ascend, attend Parliament. The town's first two MPs were Sir Thomas German and Robert Crane. We have another letter here from uh, Rosemary Edwards. It's come via email. I raise the following question. Do we need county councils and district ones? Could they not be amalgamated, thereby using their finances and resources more efficiently? Perhaps this would give council taxpayers an easier, better value for money and better service. And another letter from Elizabeth Peabody also came by email. 
And she says it's a shame that store still sells 50 pence bags. It was great to see Waitrose announce it was no longer selling 10p plastic carrier bags, but so disappointing to see the store is still selling 50 pence ones. Just because a bag is more expensive does not mean it will cause any less pollution. The recent COP26 conference warned us all the clock is ticking as far as efforts to save our planet are concerned. Many of the things we need to do are hard, and some even beyond our control. But surely we are all intelligent enough to take a bag with us when we go shopping, so we don't add to the mountain of plastic already polluting our environment. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation of the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from... Katrina, Gordon and Roger. been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.